Amen. And you may be seated. You may be seated. Well, I am really, really excited. Um, and I do want to let you know, my name is Mike Terramano. I work for the Seneca Police Department. And I really am excited about first responder service. It's patriotic. It's July 4th. It's first responder. Most everyone is dressed in red, white, and blue. But as Casey Bowling pointed out, I'm dressed like Al Capone for some reason today. I don't know why, but you know that's what ended up happening. So here I am. And uh, so yeah, I've worked for Seneca Police Department for, for about 12 years. Um, that's kind of my weekday job, Monday through Friday. And on nights and weekends, um, I'm in the ministry, involved in the ministry as, as much as we can be. And that's, that's really an awesome privilege. And it's an awesome opportunity uh, to serve the kingdom and to tell people about this man named Jesus and the things that he did for them. And uh, what's interesting is one job, I often meet people at their lowest. And in the other job, I often meet people at their lowest. Um, one job is becoming increasingly under scrutiny, and the other job is becoming increasingly under scrutiny. Right? So it's an interesting uh, dichotomy of things. Um, but I am, I am excited, and, and, and somebody once said that um, sometimes I help lock people up, and sometimes I help set people free. So that's an interesting, uh, interesting thing that goes on there. But. Uh, just in the spirit of the fact that we have cops, we have uh, firefighters, some EMTs, I, I have just one quick joke, or two jokes, I guess I should say. So, um, you know, why did God make police officers? Because firefighters gotta have heroes too. So, and, uh, <laughs> hold on, hold on, don't leave, don't leave. So, uh, it, on the flip side, on the flip side, um, if you ask firefighters, why did God make police officers? The firefighters would say, well, well we're saving lives. Someone has to direct traffic. So, um, <laughs> so there's that. And, and, and listen, um, there are some times that we don't get along. Uh, there are some times that we as, as police officers and firefighters, maybe even different agencies, you know, different city and county agencies, uh, dispatchers sometimes on the phone don't like what other dispatchers have done or said, or, you know, another agency shows up on scene and you don't like the way that they do their thing or whatever. But I will say this, for all first responders, um, we've got a couple of things that we do uh, share in common or things that, you know, that we're the same on. Number one, it is impossible for us to plan our day Right? Uh, what's funny is that, so my wife, Terry, she's a nursing instructor at Clemson. And so the other day she was talking about her upcoming semester. And she has her upcoming semester planned like down to like each day. She knows the students are doing this, the students are doing that. She's got this really detailed syllabus and she knows which students in this class are going to be here. And some have to go to Greenville for this campus. I mean, she's just got it really planned out. And, and that's good. And that's, I'm, I'm excited for her for that, that she has that structure. But of course, first responders, we just don't have that luxury, right? You can, you can go into the office or you can show up for work and you've got a plan to do this and take care of this and take care of this. And for the cops, it's like you end up with an armed robbery. The firefighters, you've got a residential structure fully involved, you know, to keep you from washing the fire truck again or whatever. Uh, paramedics, you know, you, you, you're headed to lunch. All right, that's it. I'm done. I promise. I'm done. Um, you know, paramedics, you're headed to lunch or something like that. You get a cardiac arrest at the motel. Um, just interesting things, how we just can't possibly plan. In fact... It reared its ugly head this weekend. It's 10 o'clock last night. I'm doing my final preparation for this message. And I think there's about four or six people in the room right now. And we all had to go to work last night and we were there until after midnight. Some people were already there. Some people had to work the rest of the night. It's just a really interesting thing. And it was a perfect sermon illustration. So it worked out great for me that sometimes, you know, we, we just can't plan our days. But the other thing that I think we're guilty sometimes as first responders is an us versus them mentality. 
right? Sometimes first responders, we look at society, we look at civilians, and we just say, you just don't get it, right? We, we deal, we meet people amongst, sometimes under the craziest conditions, um, weird, strange conditions, um, often dangerous conditions, Right? And I think sometimes as first responders, whether you're county or dispatch, you work in the detention center, whatever it is, like we just have this us versus them mentality. And sometimes, unfortunately, we look at civilians and say, you just have no idea. Um, we're, we're thankful for Live PD because it does give you some of an indication of what we have to deal with. Any Live PD fans in the house? Yeah, we love Live PD. I know, exactly. Yeah, Friday and Saturdays, you're parked in front of that A&E. Um, but the truth is, what the scriptures tell us, is that there are two groups of people in this room. The scriptures tell us there are two groups of people in this room. And I'm not talking about black and white. I'm not talking about Republicans and Democrats. I'm not talking about Church of God or Baptist, right? I'm not talking about first responders or civilians. There's two groups of people in here, and I'm going to speak to both of those groups. The first group is a group of people that you don't know Jesus. And what I mean by that is you're like, eh, I'm not really into the Jesus thing. I'm not really into the church Bible thing. You know, maybe you were born and raised a little bit under it. And since then, you're like, eh, I just don't buy into it or whatever. You know, maybe, you know, maybe you're like, a, you're a little cynical. And if that's the case, listen, I get it. Every first responder in here gets the idea of being cynical because we are. We're cynical because, well, one of the reasons why is because people lie to us. Right? It doesn't matter, really. I mean, people lie to the police a lot, but firefighters, you know, you get on scene and you're like, did you leave the oven on? And they're like, uh, no, but that's a lie because the switch says on, right? And that's the reason why the smoke, you know, why the alarms went off. You know, paramedics, you're there, you're checking vitals and you're like, did you take your blood pressure meds today? Uh, yes. And the answer is obviously no. You know what I'm saying? So like people lie to us. And so first responders, we have an us versus them mentality and sometimes we're just cynical. We really are. And so if you're here and you're not into the Jesus church thing, right, and you're, you're a little cynical about church stuff, or maybe you've been hurt by the church, trust me, or I, I should say, I, I get it, okay, I get it. But all I want to do to this morning is help you better understand what Jesus did for you. That's it. Like, I'm not going to, like, ask you to come up here and, like, join and start giving and sign up for a ministry and work in the nursery. That's, 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 that's not, right? I just want to share with you and help you better understand what Jesus did for you. Now, if you're in the other group and you, you're sitting here and you're like, yes, I know Jesus. I have committed my life to him. This isn't one of those things where you get to sit back and be like, aha, he's preaching to y'all. No, this isn't, that isn't the case. In fact, for you, it's a homework. For you, it's a little bit of homework. Because what I want to do is I want, to, I want to help you better understand what Jesus is calling you to do. Because so, that's the thing you have to understand. You've got to think about this. If you're a Christian, you carry around a burden. Now, I know Jesus says, you know, that, that lay our burdens on him. But you carry around a responsibility and a burden and a duty to tell others what he's done for you. So I'm going to help you better understand what he's calling you to do as a follower of him. So you're, you're really in one of those, those two groups, okay? So if you would, would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to be going to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be going to Philippians chapter 2. Now, if you don't have your Bible with us, we're going to, with you, we're going to put it up on the screen, but it's going to be Philippians chapter 2. Now, I want to give you a little bit of context. Um, this is a letter that was written by a guy named Paul. Right? Paul wrote almost half of the New Testament. Um, you may have heard of him. Um, if you've been in church a little bit, there's this guy named Paul. And so he, he wrote to a church, um, at, and he had actually planted this church. And so 
this church, he sent them this letter back saying, hey guys, there's something I need to discuss with you. There's some things I need to discuss with you. He says, so he wrote this letter back to them. So check out what he says. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, this is the mindset I want you to have, just like Jesus, who being in the form God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. One more verse. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Can someone say amen for the reading of the word? So, Hidden in this passage, verse 7, please. Hidden in this passage, we find this word. We find this word, reputation. That's kind of what I want to talk about. That's half of what I want to talk about today is reputation. All right, so when I think of reputation, I think of something like Chick-fil-A. Even though they're closed right now, I think of something like Chick-fil-A, right? And Chick-fil-A... Chick-fil-A just has a reputation for customer service, right? For just, for the quality of service when you go there, when you speak to the people, you know for a fact that when you say thank you, they're going to say, yeah, my pleasure, exactly. You are all good Christian chicken fans, right? So uh, that's just a reputation that they have at Chick-fil-A. Um, I don't know if you have any Publix, uh, any sh- who shops at Publix, but they're coming to Seneca, so you'll get to experience this soon. Stacy's celebrating. Um, Publix is coming to Seneca, and Publix has another reputation about customer service. They're kind of the Chick-fil-A of grocery stores, so to speak. But if you're ever going through Publix, and you will see an employee, and they will have a pallet full of sugar in front of them and they're trying to load it onto the shelf and you walk by, they'll stop and they'll say, are you finding everything okay? Is there anything I can help you find today? And if you say yes, I don't know where the yogurt is, they will walk you to the yogurt and show you exactly where it is. They will interrupt exactly what they're doing. They just have um, this reputation for that, which is why, of course, people love to go shop um, at Publix. Terry and I have been in North Walhalla for almost a year now and I think that North Walhalla has a reputation for loving on people. And if the, if the pastor has taught me anything, it's preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? And what, we, what, what, what I feel the reputation is for North Walhalla is when you come through the door, somebody's going to greet you, somebody's going to show you some love, and when you sit in here under the power of this stage, you are going to hear about Jesus Christ and how he was crucified for you. That's the reputation that North Walhalla has worked for, right? And so what's interesting about this word, or what's interesting about uh, the word reputation, is we can actually go to the Greek. We can actually go to the Greek and, and look at the word reputation. So, I built this thing to kind of help me um, with my my message this morning. So this is reputation. And there's going to be another one that goes over here. So the word for reputation, the Greek word for reputation, is kanao. The Bible says kanao is actually the Greek thing. So if you know, you know, it was translated from Greek over to English, and the word is kanao. And, and really, kanao means vain or vanity or emptiness, reputation. So if you start to think about what reputation means, if you start to think about that, you start to think about it, it's vain. It's vanity. It's the pursuit of vanity, right? There's nothing substantial to it. And I'm going to elaborate a little bit about that further. So in order for us to better understand this passage, which is going to help you understand what Jesus did for you or understand what he's calling you to do, in order to better understand this passage, we've got to better understand the word reputation. And in order to better understand the word reputation, I think it's important for us to understand the opposite of reputation. 
See, because I look at it this way, for example, in, in, in my job, so when I'm building a case, when I'm considering how is my case built in, in a certain investigation, right? I want to know how good my case is, right? When I go into court or when I start to work with a solicitor's office, I want to know how good is my case. Well, sometimes the best way to consider how good my case is or, or what I have in my case is to consider what I'm missing, right? Sometimes to understand something, we kind of consider the opposite. Uh, for example, for the firefighters, um, in order to understand, better understand how to extinguish a fire, you actually have to understand the components of that fire, right? So if you want to put out a fire, you have to understand how a fire is built, right? And I think firefighters on like day two of the academy, after you get them taking care of the Dalmatians, you learn about, uh, you learn about heat and fuel and oxygen, right? Those are, okay, I promise I'm done. That's it. I, I lied in church when I said I was done. Now I'm really done. Um, there, you know, there's three components to a fire, right? There's heat, there's fuel, and there's oxygen. And so firefighters learn that, you know, if you want to extinguish a flame, you have to know how the flame is structured. So in order to understand a concept, sometimes we have to kind of look at the opposite. So if we're going to better understand this reference, we're going to understand what Paul is trying to tell us. We want to understand reputation. We're going to understand the opposite of reputation. So if reputation is your outer image, right? If, if, if reputation is who you are on the outside, then the opposite would be who are you on the inside, right? If reputation is who you are during the day when the lights are on, right, out in public, well, then the opposite would be who you are at night when you're all alone, as the great theologian Michael Jackson said, the man in the mirror, right? That would be the opposite of reputation, right? If reputation is doing the right thing when everyone is looking, then the opposite, of course, would be doing the right thing when no one is looking, if reputation is doing what you're told, no matter what's right, well, then the opposite, of course, would be doing what's right, no matter what you're told. So by now, I would say most of you have figured out what I think the opposite of reputation is. Is that a reputation is character. Terry designed these, I built them. So they look cool, but they're not very sound because I built them, but she's the one who designed them. But anyway, so if we're going to better understand this passage, we're going to better understand that the opposite of reputation is character. And that's what I want you to better understand is the difference or the relationship, how the opposite of reputation is character. And to do that, we're actually going to go to the other end of the Bible. We're actually going to go to a book called 1 Samuel. You don't necessarily have to turn there. We're going to, we're going to put it on the screen, just a couple of verses. Okay? So, New Testament, Paul wrote this, this letter to the Philippians, right? But if we go way back in time, there was this nation of people called the nation of Israel, right? And if you've ever seen the movie Ten Commandments at Easter, right? This is the nation of Israel that was led out of Egypt. They were in bondage in Egypt, right? And Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, right? And so they lead them out of Egypt. And so now they're on their own. They're in the promised land. They have their home that they've kind of settled in. Well, what happens is, is as we sometimes do, we start demanding things and we think we know what's best. After God has delivered us from a certain situation and certain bondage, we then start thinking we know what's best. And sure enough, here's the nation of Israel doing the exact same thing. Here is the nation of Israel demanding that they have a king. You see, for a long time, the nation of Israel, they operated without a king. 
They operated with judges. We've heard of these people, Gideon, there's different people, Samson. These were all judges. And essentially what they were is they were just spiritual men who helped guide them in different ways. Um, Sometimes there were prophets involved, like Samuel, that would speak to the people on God's behalf. They didn't really have a Bible that they could go to, so they had these prophets and they had these judges um, who were close to God and who had a good relationship with God, and they would help navigate some of these things. And for a long time, it, it worked pretty well. But then all of a sudden, they see Egypt with their king. They see the Philistines with their king. They see the Amalekites with their king. They see the Amorites with their king. And they're like, we want a king. We want a king. And God says, no, you don't want a king. And they're like, yes, we really do. Hey, Samuel, go tell God we want a king. And Samuel already knew that God was saying, that's not a good idea. And they're like, no, 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 we want a king. We want a king. And, and God, like, you really don't want a king? And like, yes, we do. And ultimately, God does what sometimes God does. And he answers prayers. And this is where we get the idea, be careful what you pray for. Sure enough, they're given a king, right? This first king, and, and so here we are in the context. Here we've arrived at this part of the story, and this is in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 12, verse 20 and 21, and Samuel is essentially delivering them a message from God. He's telling them. They're right in the middle of this, we're going to get a king thing. And so here's what he says. He says, the Samuel said unto the people, fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Verse 21. And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after, everybody say it, vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are, say it with me, vain. If you remember, I just used the word vain a little while ago, didn't I? So let's go back to verse 20. Let's go back to verse 20 and check out what what we have here. Ye have done all this wickedness. Turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Verse 21, verse 21, and turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are vain. See that? Isn't that cool? In those two verses, we get the definition of character and we get the definition of reputation. The definition of character, just follow the Lord, seek after him and what he says and what he, what he has, right? And then over here, it's seeking after vain things. They don't deliver and they don't profit. And just like that, the Bible gives us this, this explanation, this understanding about the difference between character and reputation. Now, what I want you to also or, or kind of better understand um, is the relationship between reputation and character. The relationship between reputation and character. And if I can can do this, I I wanna try this. Think about this. If all you do is work on your reputation, making your reputation go up, right? If all you wanna do is increase and improve your reputation, what's gonna happen to your character? It's gonna go down. You already know this, right? This isn't anything profound. Right? This isn't anything that's like crazy. This isn't some crazy concept that I came up with, you know what I'm saying? You already know this. If you focus on your reputation all the time, and you're trying to make your reputation as good and big and best as possible, guess what happens to your character? It's going to go down. Your character is going to suffer. Um, and we learn this from the very first king that the nation of Israel ends up with. His name is Saul. And so the people say, we want a king, we want a king. And so Saul ends up as the people's choice. Remember, he wasn't God's choice were the prophets, right? These wise men that God had put in place. King Saul was the king, the people's choice. And so which of these is Saul more focused on? Bingo. 
He's more so focused on his reputation. And the very first king of Israel, it was a disaster. Experiment was essentially a disaster, um, and, 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 and terrible things happen in the nation because he's so worried about what everyone thinks. He's so worried and chasing what doesn't profit, what doesn't deliver, and what is vain instead of setting his sight on what the Lord has. And we see this with Saul. And here's what happens. Same thing happens to you. You want to be the best employee in the sheriff's office, and you'll do whatever it takes. Right? You want to be known as the best officer on the shooting range. So you'll lie, tweak your numbers a little bit, you know, throw an extra round in there so you get an extra five points, um, right? Or maybe you want to be the first to arrive, or you want to be the one who looks like you have the best, you know, whatever, whatever it is. As you work to have the best reputation, your character is going down because you're going to have to lie at some point, you're going to have to cheat at some point, or you're going to have to steal at some point. You have to lie to someone. You're going to have to cheat someone else. You want to get to the best position you can. You want to be chief. You want to be chief deputy. You want to be running the show. You want to be you know, head, uh, head of communications for the whole dispatch department. And you'll do anything to make your reputation better. But what you don't realize is that you're making your character worse. Now, what's funny is if I step over here, what happens if you just work on your character? As you work to improve your character, what happens to your reputation? It goes up, right? It doesn't go down. It goes up too. Isn't that fascinating how that works? The relationship uh, between these two things. Uh, you know, if you, just, if you just set your mind on being the best employee, or, or, or let's just say, so, you, so we're not talking about work stuff. Let's talk about siblings. Let's say you're competing with, with your other siblings for mom and dad's approval or something like that, right? You just do... You know what I'm saying? What you should do when no one else is looking. You do the right thing when no one else is looking, right? And you worry about your character going up, and your reputation is going to go up. It's the relationship between these two, right? And that's exactly what First Samuel is trying to tell the people. He's trying to tell them this, right? This, this is the pursuit of vain things that don't profit, things that don't deliver. And what's crazy is that Jesus, when he was giving us the message, or he's given one of his famous sermons, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, you may have heard of it. When he's giving the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, he actually tells us, listen, what you do in private, my father, he's going to reward it in public. Right? So what you do when it's just you, no one's watching, and the bright lights aren't on, and the recognition isn't coming, what you do when you're just looking at the man in the mirror, the father is going to reward it openly, right? And, and here's the thing I also want you to, I want you to, I want you to, I want to ask this. I want to ask you this. I can move these guys. I'm going to put this right over here, right next to Anthony. Okay. I want to ask you this. This is a question I have for you. How far apart are your character and your reputation? How far apart is your character from your reputation? So, for example, I brought the wrong one over. First mistake. If I were going to ask April to tell us about Anthony, I would think that she's probably going to know him pretty well. Right? If I asked you to paint a picture of him, Tell us about his character, right? Tell us about who he is. Describe for us who he is. She would give us a picture, right? She would paint us a picture, and it's probably pretty close to who he is, 
you know him best, right? So then my question is, how far apart is Anthony's reputation? Because then if I went and asked somebody who maybe you work with, or maybe someone who's met you once or twice, or you only see them once in a while, how far away from your actual character would your reputation be? Because ideally, how close should they be? They should be right next to each other. They should be indistinguishable. Your character and reputation should be indistinguishable, right? I think about this, like Niagara Falls. If I ask somebody to paint me a picture of Niagara Falls, and the person I asked to paint me a picture of Niagara Falls used to work there. They were like one of the groundskeepers, or they, you know, they worked in the park there. So they had seen Niagara Falls every day for 30 years, and I said, paint me a picture of Niagara Falls. Well, it probably be a pretty accurate representation, right? Because they know it so well. But then I asked somebody else who has seen it once or maybe hasn't seen it or they see it every once in a while, they've only seen it once or twice, they might paint me a picture of the, uh, the Redneck Riviera Falls down here on Lake Kiwi over, you know, I'm talking about Party Cove, right? Redneck uh, Yacht Club, right? They might paint me a picture of that because they don't, they don't necessarily know what Niagara Falls is. You see, because April's painting of Anthony would be almost like a photo. But my question is, if I ask somebody who's not in your inner circle, would their painting be more like a character like you'd get at Six Flags? You know, the characters you get done at like the carnival or Six Flags, you know, where it's got, see, I've got a Tim Tebow nose. You may have already seen the Tim Tebow nose, right? So like if I get a caricature, caricature done, they're going to really emphasize that. I've got this huge jaw, so they're going to emphasize the jaw. That's what the, you know, caricatures do. So my question is, is how far apart from your reputation is your character? Ideally, the people that are in your inner circle, when they describe you, and they tell you all about who Anthony is, and then I go over here and I ask this person who interacts with you once in a while, the description would be similar. Because what that tells me then is that you're worried about your character instead of being worried about your reputation, right? Let me get my uh, visual aids out of the way. So we talk about the, the relationship between character and reputation to kind of better understand it. Here's the thing. If you spend all of your time chasing, I switched them up, didn't I? If you spend all your time chasing reputation, it's kind of exhausting. Here's why. Number one, you have to maintain multiple reputations. Right? So first of all, you've got your, uh, you've got your work reputation. Or maybe around your coworkers. Let's talk about your coworkers, right? When it's just you and your shift mates, you're a certain type of worker, right? Oh man, administration, I hate them. They're terrible. They're never doing what's right by us. They've never given us what we need. They never do this and they never do that. Administration comes around, all of a sudden you got your you got your administration reputation. Oh, major chief, what's up? Hey, good to see you, man. I love working for Seneca Police Department. You're awesome, right? Uh, you know, sometimes maybe. If you got a girlfriend, you got to maintain your girlfriend reputation versus your friend's reputation, right? You got your reputation you are around your girlfriend. Oh, baby, I love you. Oh, you're so sweet. Right? But around your friends, you got to maintain a different reputation. Oh, man. The old ball and chain. I get so sick of her. Now, when grandma comes around, though, when grandma comes around, right, you got a different reputation. You got grandma reputation. Yes, I was in church this morning. It was great, right? That's the same reputation you got around your pastor, right? You have to maintain multiple reputations, do you not? And that's exhausting. I don't know about you, 
but I'd rather just maintain one. Because otherwise, you've got you to change. You've got to figure out which reputation. And sometimes, they're going to be in the same room together, and you have to figure out which reputation you're, you're going you're gonna to go to. Right? When your coworkers and your boss is in the same room, which one are you going to do? Right? Number two, number two, another thing, another reason why it's exhausting to focus on your reputation, seagulls. So I was in the parking lot, uh, Staples in Seneca, you know, Planet Fitness, Staples, uh, McDonald's, Bank of America, that parking lot. I was in that parking lot. I was waiting on somebody to meet somebody about something. And have you ever noticed how seagulls gather in that parking lot? You know what I'm talking about? There's like 50 of them. I don't know why. I thought seagulls were at the ocean. The ocean is several hundred miles away, you stupid birds. And so they hang out in the top of this parking lot. And sure enough, this guy pulls up. He rolls his window down, parks in the, he kind of pulls up in the middle of where the seagulls are. He rolls his window down, and what does he do? He t- <laughs> you already know, you already know, you've seen this, right? He takes out like a bag of bread, or, or I think it was a bag of bread, and he had crushed up all of the bread inside of this bag, and instead of grabbing the open end, you can imagine he grabs the closed end, right, and just starts slinging it around. So what happens? Bread goes everywhere, and what happens next? Seagulls go everywhere. And what do seagulls leave behind, right? So here's what I want you to consider. Ladies, let me talk to the ladies just a minute. Let me talk to single ladies for just a minute. You know that guy that you've been interested in? That guy you talk to? That guy who, oh, man, you're, you're focused on your reputation, like what, what you're putting out there on social media so it catches his attention, right? Or maybe you're focused on his reputation, who he is around you, and not who he might really be and what his real character is, right? That's a seagull. He's a seagull, ladies. I'm going to tell you, he's a seagull. Don't chase seagulls because you know what seagulls do. They swoop and poop. That's what they do. That's what seagulls are good at. They're good at two things, all right? That's what they do. By the way... This is my last Sunday at North Walhalla, okay? <laughs> Just as a reminder, this is my last Sunday at North Walhalla, officially. If it wasn't official, that was it. That's what it took. <laughs> right? You focus on your reputation, I promise you, you know what you're attracting. You're attracting seagulls. All you're doing is slinging an open bag of bread around, and you're attracting seagulls. Right? Number three, when you're focused on your reputation, this is big, this is important. All of your gain is dishonest. You know that promotion you got? Guess what? It was dishonest. It's because you had to lie or cheat or steal, right? Because you were so busy focusing on this that all of your work was dishonest. Or for the single ladies again, single guys, right? You finally catch that person that you've been after. But guess what? The only reason why you got their attention was you had painted a picture. You had painted a picture. Right, that, but that, of yourself, but that picture wasn't accurate. So your gain, so to speak, this person, I'm saying that you had finally caught, is dishonest. Because all you were doing is you're trying to paint this image that wasn't really accurate. And here's what I want you to understand. Focusing on reputation is exhausting. It's exhausting. Okay? And how do I know this? How do I know this? Verse 7. Verse 7, please. Verse 6. Change my mind. Go ahead. So in verse 5, it says that Jesus, 
right? Go back to verse five, sorry. Joe, I keep changing on you. Go back to six. No, I'm kidding. Stay at five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, this is the mindset that you're supposed to have, right? Paul is telling you, this is the mindset you're supposed to have. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God? Verse seven, but made himself of no reputation. So here's what I want you to understand. You know why reputation, pursuing and chasing reputation is so exhausting? It's because you start down here with your reputation and every day your goal is to look a little bit better. And it's to look a little bit better. And it's to look a little bit better. And it's to lie to somebody so you can get that next job. So you, you're, you're climbing. And then you have to cheat to get that next thing. And then you have to steal to get that person. It's exhausting. Because all you're doing is you're trying to climb a ladder that the world has defined. You're trying to climb the staircase that the world has defined. The world says, you do you, boo, right? The world says, you just go after whatever it is that you need to go after. You look out for number one because nobody else is going to look out for number one, right? That's what the world is telling us. They're telling us that through movies, through songs, through social media, through internet, through the news, through whatever, right? But here's what's really cool. Notice, okay, so I got to, let's see, let's go to, let's go to five. Let's go to verse five. I, I know I'm changing up on you, Joey. But. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, verse six, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Let me make sure I under, you understand this. When you try to climb the stairs that the world has defined, do you know what you're doing? You're committing robbery against God. You're like, what? what? Well, here's what I mean. He deserves the ultimate glory and the ultimate majesty. He is at the top. And what happens is you're trying to steal some of his glory. See, when the world says you do you, boo, what the world is saying is make yourself into a God. Puff yourself up. You are your own God. You do what's right by you. You, give your, you get your own version of the truth and you just go out and live it and enjoy the ride. YOLO. Right? And when you do that, as you try to climb your way to the top, you're actually committing robbery against God because you're trying to steal away some of his glory. And Jesus, who was equal in the form of God, right? It was not robbery for him to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, A servant. It's what he's calling us to do. Remember, Christians, what I said. I'm going to challenge you this morning. I'm challenging you. Call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a servant. Right? Took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So not only was it equal for him to, was it not robbery for him to be equal with God, he said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to earth as a man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. You call yourself a Christian, you better call yourself humble. He's the perfect model. So that's, this, is, this, is what, this is what I want you to understand. He's the perfect model. What he did was, he said, I've, we, you know, it's like God and Jesus are having a conversation. This is me just, you know, giving my opinion. This isn't, I'm not interpreting scripture. It's like God and Jesus are having an opinion and it's like, we, we gotta come up with something. We gotta come up with a way 
to, to save them. We've got to come up with a way to save them from their sin. Like, we've got to come up with something. And instead of just stomping his feet and throwing down lightning bolts and saying, I'm God and you will serve me. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about coming as a man, as a servant, humbling himself? And, but listen, I, I, I got to do this. I got I to make sure I, I push this. He had your sin on his mind when he went to the cross. And I hope, it's, I hope you don't miss that. Right? Do me a favor and to yourself, say your own name in your mind right now. Not out loud, just to yourself. Say your own name. Say your own name in your head. You understand. Your name and your sin was on Jesus' mind when he crawled onto that cross. Your individual sins. See, I think sometimes the problem is, is that we, we, we preach about Jesus and he, he, he saved all humanity and all mankind. And sometimes we feel, we, we get lost in the fact that that was an individual effort for Tim. Right? There's a name attached to that. It was an individual accomplishment, an individual act for Brad, right? For Sarah for Elizabeth. Like, it was individual acts that he became obedient unto death. Now, Paul puts in this phrase right there at the end, and he says, even the death of the cross. Do you know why that's so important? Because the cross was a horrible death. So not only did he start as God, humble himself, come as a servant, come as a man, and choose death. He chose the worst death, right? He chose death on the cross for you. Because I'm, I'm telling you, when Jesus, when they do it, they, he does it big, right? He didn't just pick a slow, you know, he didn't just pick a quick death, maybe in his sleep, and he would say, oh yeah, I saved man from their sins. No, 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 no. He went all out with a death on the cross. Because the, the, the death on the cross was horrific. You're bleeding, suffocating, you're exposed, everything your mama gave you, it's embarrassing, and that's the death that he chose for you. And what Jesus did was, verse 7, he made himself of no reputation. He didn't deserve that, did he? He deserved to be exalted on high. And instead, he said, you know what? For Mike, I'm crawling onto that cross, and I'm going to bleed, and I'm going to die. And we know that he knew that that was happening. How did we know that he knew that it was happening? Because of his prayer in the garden, right? He went to the garden, and he prayed. <laughs> and this, this just came to me. How cool is this? How many people were around when Jesus was in the garden praying? Nobody, right? And he was, he, was, he was, you know, toiled over it, right? We know he was battling with it. He was human. He had become a man. And he was battling with this thing because the sweat was his blood. And he's asking God if the cup can pass, pass from him. If he doesn't have to do this act, is essentially what he says to God. If I don't have to do this act, please work out a way, God. Please, please work out a way for me to have to go through this horrific death that I'm about to go through. But 
what did Jesus do when no one was looking? He did the right thing, right? He left that garden knowing he was about to get arrested and that that was the beginning of the end of the beginning. It was the beginning of the end of the beginning. See, this, this right here is bondage. This right here is freedom. Right? This right here is of the flesh. This right here is of the spirit. This right here is tradition. This is what people tell you to do. This is, this is tradition, but this is transformation. Right? This is the world's definition, and this is God's definition. Right? The world is constantly trying. I love to talk about the world's definitions of success. The world is constantly trying to define success for us. Right? But I'm telling you, this is God's definition of success. Right? So, if you'd stand with me. We, we have a few more minutes left. So remember I said at the beginning, there's two groups here. Right? I hope if you're part of the one group, you were challenged into what God's calling you to do. If you're part of the other group, I hope you've considered a little bit about what Jesus did for you. Like I said, I'm not going to call you up here and ask you to join the church, start giving, volunteer, and all of that. But I am going to do some, I ask you to do one thing. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I need everybody, everybody, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here and you're a Christian, if you're here and you are a Christian, you know Jesus is your Savior, would you raise your hand? Would you just lift your hand up just briefly, just quickly? If you know Jesus, if you say, I'm, I know Jesus, I've committed my life to him, amen, amen, hands down, hands down, thank you so much for doing that. If you're here and you'd say, you know what, Mike, I'm not sure, listen, I am not going to call you out, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to ask you to give me your name after, nothing like that. I'm just going to pray for you. Christians, if you're here, I want you praying right now, right now, Christians, right now, Christians, we have seen salvation after salvation after salvation here in this house in recent recent weeks. Christians, I need you praying right now, right now, right now for the one, for the one who's about to raise their hand. All they're going to do is they're going to raise their hand. They're going to raise their hand as saying, yes, I, I just don't know this guy, Jesus. I've heard about him once or twice or a hundred times. I've never done the commitment. So I'm asking you, heads bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here and you can't say, absolutely, I've, I have committed my to Jesus, all I'm asking you to do is just lift your hand up, maybe make eye contact with me, and that is it. I am not going to call you out. I am not going to embarrass you. None of that. None of that. So one, two, three, lift, lift your hand and just look at me. If you, can, if you can't say, Jesus, I've never, never committed my life to you. Amen. Amen. Hands are going up. Anyone else? One, two, three, hand up. If you could say, I just, I've never done the commitment. I've never said, I want Jesus as my Savior. Just lift your hand. Just let me make eye contact with you. See your hand. Just, all right. Amen. 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 So let's pray. Heavenly Father. Father, we know that you were here this morning, Lord. We know the Holy Spirit has moved in this place. We know that your message, Lord, was the timing. It was the right words for the right people uh, on the right day. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. And we thank you for the opportunities to open the scriptures, Lord. We know that there were hands and there were hearts that were moved by this message, Lord. We know that there were hearts that were moved to consider their character versus their reputation. We know that there are people who have been consumed and obsessed with their reputation and they're willing to lie and they're willing to cheat and they're willing to steal to get ahead, Lord. And so I pray that those that were here were moved by this, Lord, that your perfect model of no reputation will take hold, Lord. 
Lord, for the hands that were raised and the hearts that were moved that said, I really haven't committed myself to Jesus, Lord. I pray that today might be that different day. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So if I can get your attention back up here. So listen, if you're here, make eye contact with you, raise your hand. Listen, I'd love to talk with you after service, share a little bit with you, talk with you a little bit more about that. Listen, everybody everybody look at me, look at me. If I spoke to you today and you, listen, I know, listen, I know about pursuing your reputation. Every day you go to work, you go to school, you go wherever, and you're constantly obsessed with what others think of you. See, because that's the reason, listen, that's the thing. That's the, that's the reason why pursuing reputation is so exhausting is because who is your identity defined by? Everybody else, right? Every day, for the young people sitting over here, every day you go to school, if you're focused on your reputation, your identity is constantly defined and then redefined. Because next year, there's going to be somebody else that you're in school with and your identity is going to be defined by them. And then the following year, there's going to be somebody else that you'll be in school with and your identity is going to be defined by them because they're going to say this. And then all of a sudden, a new song is going to come out. It's going to be like, well, that's the cool thing now, so now your identity is defined by that. Listen, maybe it's at work, maybe for the professionals that are here in the first, in the first section, or maybe over here, somebody's, you know, you're chasing your career, and you're constantly, constantly, every day you're obsessed with, well, what does somebody think? What does somebody think? What does somebody think? It's exhausting. Stop. It's not what God has for you. That's bondage. That's bondage. And this is one of those things as, as like a Christian. As a Christian, you're here and you're like, hey man, Mike, preach it. Like, listen, I know there's Christians, you are here and you feel that sense of bondage sometimes because you are so obsessed with your career and where you're getting. And what does your neighbor think of your grass? And what does your neighbor think of your new truck? And what does your neighbor think of your lawnmower or whatever? And you're obsessed with that. Stop. Let me implore you to stop. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. God, didn't, God does not want that for you. That's not the life abundantly that, that Jesus talks about. All right, Pastor. Love you. Love you. Praise the Lord. What a great word. Amen. Remember tonight, right after our evening service, and we're going to condense the worship part of service tonight. There'll be cake and ice cream, Mike and Terry, and the kids. Please make plans to come over. Once again, to all our first responders, we honor you today. To our firefighters, take that up with him. That's all on him. Amen. I didn't know about day one and the dogs, Dalmatians. I didn't know about that. Amen. There's leadership already out front. When you leave, go by. There's a bag prepared for you. Uh, a bunch of goodies are in there. There's some handwritten things about uh, different departments. Also, there's a gift certificate in there for you as well. There's a meal for you this week at the steakhouse here at Wahala Steakhouse. So there's a gift card in there for you. Go by to share that with them. So everyone, first responders, uh, your meal is on us this week. Okay, we love you. We appreciate you. And uh, if you want to invite me, just call me. I can't go this week, but I can go next week. All right. But Once again, we honor you. Can we put our hands together? Honor them one more time. Pastor Russell's going to the front door. Real quickly, please remember our kids as they go to two camps this week. Remember them as they travel. Also, make sure you speak to at least one of our first responders today and thank them for their service. Amen? I mean, bow your heads with me, please. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's been great to be in your house. Maybe humble ourselves. I still remember Mike and Terry and I talking about the Luke 14 principle. Take the lowest seat in the house and God elevates you to the highest seat. 
But if you choose the highest seat, the Bible said with shame, the man will touch you on the shoulder and say there's one greater than you, and with shame you will go down to the lowest seat. There's something about that humility and dependence upon the Lord that causes men and women to be raised to great heights. And that way when they get there, they know it was not them of the flesh, but by the help of the Lord. May we do that today. What a great word in an instant season. Bless the man and woman of God in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go.